All right, so today, like I said, we're in our last topic. Uh, the title is The Greatest Love Story. Okay, the revelation presents the greatest love story. And I added a subtitle, The Last Invitation. Okay, so uh, just bear with me. I, I don't usually do that, so it has a double title. So it's The Greatest Love Story and The Last Invitation. All right, so let's go ahead and remember our main theme. Revelation is a message of? Of hope. Let's say it together. Revelation, a message of hope. Amen. Amen. So let's go ahead and, and get started with today's topic. Like I mentioned, today we're going to see in the book of Revelation the greatest love story. Okay, so let, let's, let's go ahead and go through the love story. You guys are ready? All right, so let's go. Jesus communicates with his bride, declares his love, and makes a commitment with her. Revelation chapters 1 to 3. Remember when we studied the message to the seven churches? That's what we see in the message of the seven churches. Jesus communicating with his bride, declaring his love, and making a commitment with her. Then, in the first chapter, we see that he leaves, but he makes a promise. He makes a promise to come back. That's in Revelation 1.7. And then we see during the Middle Ages, especially, even before the Middle Ages, but especially during the Middle Ages and even now, we see Satan trying to pervert the bride and tries to destroy her. And we studied quite a bit about that. Then we see Jesus inviting his bride to repent and the renewed church surges. Revelation 7 and also Revelation 14, where we see the three angels' message. Then we see the unfaithful woman that appears in the book of Revelation, that great harlot, with the help of Satan, persecutes the faithful bride. Revelation chapter 12 and also chapter 13 when we studied about the mark of the beast and the 666 and all of that. Then we have in chapters 11 and 12, Jesus protects his bride. Wow, isn't that awesome? The faithful bride gets herself prepared for her encounter with Jesus the groom. We find that in Revelation chapter 14 verses 5 and 6. Then Jesus returns. And marries his faithful bride, what we studied last week, remember? Okay, Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 and 8. Jesus takes his wife, his redeemed people, to heaven on their honeymoon. Okay, on their honeymoon. The marriage supper of the Lamb takes place, Revelation 19, 9. Jesus and his wife, his redeemed people, spend their honeymoon in heaven that lasts for how many years? 1,000 years, also known as the millennium. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4 and 6. Revelation 7, verse 14 to 17. After the thousand years, Jesus will descend with his wife to live with her forever. Where? On the earth made new. Revelation chapter 21, 1 through 7. So uh, I just wanted to present this because sometimes we get lost with a lot of figures and beasts and, and dates. and st No, no, no. Revelation is the greatest love story. Okay? So... Uh, unfortunately, though, unfortunately, let me put this slide up. Uh, even though this is our wish, we want to spend eternity with Jesus. Not everyone will be there. Okay? Some will and some won't. Some will and some won't. So, unfortunately, that's, that's the, the sad truth. You know, not everyone will be in the new Jerusalem that will be established here on earth. The earth made new. Some will. Some won't. Now, who will make it? That's the question. Who will make it? Who won't make it? He invites everybody. It's not like God is saying, Stuart, you can be saved. Uh, Matthew, no, you can't be saved. Uh, Don, you either uh, 
Sharon, you're going to be saying, no, no, he's not making that type of decision. The decisions are our own decisions. We decide if we want to accept Jesus or not. We decide if we want to be saved or not. But the invitation is for everybody. Okay? We are the ones who decide. So let's go to Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 4. So go ahead and open your Bibles, and we're going to study Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 4. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Now, I love, I love verse 10 because it actually says that John is taken to this high mountain. I'll read it for you guys. So it's verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Now, those people that have visited the island of Patmos, they've told me that there's actually some really high mountains there. So I don't know which of these mountains he was at or maybe somewhere else. But the Bible says that he was carried away in the spirit to a great high mountain where he saw the new Jerusalem. And so I'm not going to be able to spend all my sermon talking about what the new Jerusalem is like. That might have to be for some other day. But I will point out a few things. So in Revelation chapter 21 verse 11, it states, for example, it's shown with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as a crystal. Wow, isn't that amazing? The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Imagine that. 12 pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. Imagine the size of those. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Revelation 21, 21. Verse 22 says, And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. Amen? And then in chapter 22 it says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and in the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life. Which bore, according to what the Bible says, 12 fruits. Each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So, so imagine this. And there's so much more that we could say. For example, in verse 3 and 4 it says, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their forehead. So how many of you would like to be there? Oh, I'd love to be there. But, but what is the most important thing of what I'm, 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 I'm saying today? So the most significant, the most important element is what we just read. God himself will be with them as their God. So yeah, the streets of gold, beautiful. The, the pearly gates, awesome. Those walls of Jasper, the streets, I mean, it's going to be awesome. But the most important thing is that God will be with us. 
That's the most important thing. God himself will be with them as their God. Now, now check this out. I love verse 3 of chapter 21. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle, underline that word in your mind, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. So I, I want to take you back just a little bit in history. Exodus 25.8. So God indicated to Moses that he was to build what? A tabernacle. But what was the purpose of that tabernacle? It states in that verse, so that I can be with my people. And the word dwell, the word dwell found in, in, in that verse, it's indicating that God was going to pitch his tent. That's what it literally means. He was going to pitch his tent with his people. Awesome. Now, think about John when he says in chapter 1, verse 14, and the verb became flesh and dwelt, and it uses the same word, but now in Greek, saying, and God himself became flesh, the verb became flesh, and he pitched his tent for 33 years here among us. Isn't that great? So he wants to be with his people, but now not only 33 years, because according to this, he wants to be with his people forever, for all eternity. So once again, the word tabernacle is the same word, dwelt. Okay, so look what it says here. Behold the tabernacle of God. He is going to pitch his tent and he will dwell. The same word, the same word. He will dwell. He will pitch his tent with his people. Now, I want you guys just to imagine this. I don't know if you guys have ever done camping. Our church loves to do camping, you know, the pathfinders and and sometimes we do a spiritual retreat and everyone goes camping. And we haven't done that for a while. So as soon as things get just a little bit back to more or less normal, uh, we might have to do some of that stuff. So imagine you guys are camping and you're pitching your tent, right? So you, you got your stakes out and you got a little hammer and you're putting your tent up and you're putting your sleeping bags inside. And all of a sudden, you see Ted Wilson, general conference president, with his tent under his arm. And pitching it next to yours. And then you see maybe one of your favorite preachers, Doug Batchelor. And he's uh, pitching his tent right next to your tent. And then, and then I don't know who else you'd like to, to have, you know, pitching their tent next to yours. But all of a sudden you have all these wonderful people that you really admire and love pitching their tent next to your tent. Well, that's nothing compared to what this verse is saying. God is going to pitch his tent with you. He's going to pitch his tent with us so he can dwell with us. Isn't that amazing? That's just so, so wonderful. And of course, Revelation 21.4 states that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Wow. So God himself pitches his tent among us. Uh, He's going to be our neighbor. He's going to get rid of all of our crying and our pain and our suffering. Now, now I do want to say that these messages are not just to, 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 to soothe the old people or to entertain the, the, the kids. This is real stuff. This is real stuff. But not everyone will be inside. There's a lot of verses in the Bible when the word but appears. Uh, it's not a good thing. Sometimes it is a good thing. But not all the time. So let's go to verse 8 because the narration literally changes and we see who will be outside of the city those that will not be inside 
So let's go ahead and, 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 and show this to you guys. So, yes, unfortunately, not everyone will be inside the city. But, there's the but. But, the cowardly, unbelieving, the worldly, and the worldly are the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all the liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death. So remember, this is happening after the millennium, so all the evil people have been raised from the dead to receive judgment and then be destroyed forever in this lake of fire. So these folks are not inside the city. And so I do want to study at least a little bit. We'll cover a little bit about who the cowardly are. We'll study a little bit about who the unbelieving are and the worldly. So, so let, 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 let's study this a little bit. So first of all, we have the cowards. So who are the cowards? Well, I've defined it as those that are not brave. If you're, uh, you know, they were asking this in, in a class once in, in, in a school, and they said, who is a coward? And the kid said, well, those that are not brave. You know, so it makes sense. All right? So those that are not brave. But especially the cowards are those that did not have the courage to identify themselves as Christians. Oh, what is my family going to say? What are my friends going to think if I become a Seventh-day Adventist? You know, Peter, he was a coward that night when Jesus was in Judgment Hall. You remember the story? So, so, so he, 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 he's not really close to where Jesus is in his in his, uh, in his court trial, but he can probably see Jesus from a distance. And it's probably really late in the night, probably midnight or a little bit later. And so he's there warming up himself in this, this fire, you know. This, and someone says, you're one of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you're one of his disciples. And he says, no, 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 no. I'm not, I might look like someone that you've seen with Jesus, but not me. And then later on, trying to maybe find somewhere else to warm up, someone else tells him, hey, you're one of his disciples. You're a follower of Jesus. He says, no, 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 I'm not. And then the third time, someone also identifies him, and he says, no. And he starts cursing and saying crazy stuff to try to make sure that he can convince them that he's not one of the followers. So he was a, a great coward. I, I praise God because... Their eye contact, the Bible says in the book of Luke that their eyes crossed each other. They, they were able to see each other. At that moment, he could not bear it anymore. He could not bear that he had been a coward, and he repented, praise God. But if the cowards do not repent, they're not going to be in the city. So the Bible states very clearly that the cowards will not be in the city. I invite you to be brave. <laughs> I invite you to not be a coward, to not be afraid, to behave as a Christian. You know, sometimes, you know, our, our young people find themselves in situations, and even us as adults, you know, if, if someone knows that you don't drink, and you're in a meeting with some folks that, that are drinking, I mean, it might be just a social meeting or a work uh, environment, but they have beer there and stuff, they say, no, give, give this gentleman milk because maybe his wife is going to scold him. You know, no, no, I, I'll have one. The cowards will be out of the city. 
So you have to identify yourself as a Christian in everything you do. The way you dress, the way you talk, the things you eat, everything. You know, so sometimes we, we, we see people meet in a restaurant. You know, I'm talking about these faithful Adventists, right? So they're in a restaurant, but, you know, praying might not be the best thing, you know, at that moment. So they just rub their heads like this, you know, when they pray. And they're done, man. They just sent a telegraph to God and said, thank you for the food, you know. What's wrong with praying in a restaurant? Of course, you're not going to lift your hands up to heaven and say, God of heaven, bless this. No, no, you, but pray. Let people know you're a Christian. That you're eating by the grace of God. That food is before you because God has provided. Let us follow Jesus without fear. Amen? But then we have the unbelievers. So let's go to that second group that's up here, the unbelievers. So... They say they believe. So, so let me make this clear. The unbelievers say they believe. I'm going to repeat it. The unbelievers say they believe, but they don't live according to the, what the Word of God says. I mean, you can go out in the street and just ask anyone, do you believe in God? I mean, you can do an interview, right? So you, you take the mic and say, do you believe in God? Oh, yes. you believe in God? Yes. You believe in God? Yes. Everyone will say they believe in God. But then there's a problem. Because they don't live according to the word of God. So that's not a real belief system. They just believe that God exists, but God's not real for them in their lives. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. Do we believe it? Well, sometimes we don't because we keep our tithes. We don't give our tithes. We're like, Things are tight, pastor. I'm sorry, but, you know, things are tight. Bills are piling up. No, no. A believer is going to believe that if you give your tithe, God is going to bless what's left. And you're going to have more and better outcomes of that money that has been blessed than if you keep the 100% that's been cursed. So you have to have God in first place in everything. The family. What about worship in our family? It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Are we seeking first the kingdom of God? Or do we send our kids to school or to work without God's blessing? You know, a lot of our kids go to the street fasting spiritually. We can't allow that, folks. There's too much danger out there in this world. Just take a few minutes to pray them over before they go to school. Before they leave the house. They need that blessing. They're going to face many challenges. I also had teenagers, yes, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and they didn't even jump any of those years. They had every single one of those. They didn't skip a year. So never, ever forget family worship. Can't let them go out there fasting spiritually. So the Bible says that unbelievers will not be in that city. But then there's another group, the worldly, that here is defined as the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, etc. So who are the worldly? Well, I've defined it this way. Those who do not turn away from the evil things of this world. Those are the worldly. 
Now, we know that God transforms. But the only way that God can transform is we're docile if we accept that the Holy Spirit come into our life to separate us from the worldly practices. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. So the worldly will not be there. But here's the, the next question. So who will be there? Okay. So who will be in that city? So let, let's see who's going to be in that city. So let, let's go to chapter 7 of Revelation, verse 14. Verse 14. Look what it says there. These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed. Look who's going to be in the city. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In the blood of the Lamb. So the first step that a Christian goes through in his process of becoming a Christian is washing his clothes. So those who came to Jesus to wash away their sins were baptized. Amen? They recognized that they were sinners. We recognized that we were sinners. That we needed Jesus. We entered the school of Christ. By the way, we're never going to graduate from that school. <laughs> I mean, we're going to be learning from God forever. But, but we, we entered the school of Christ. Baptism, I would say, was our first step. That's not where it ends. That's where it begins. But no matter how you came to Jesus, he washed you. And he covers you with his robe of righteousness, just like in this beautiful painting that someone did. This artist did a great job. So who's going to be inside the city? Those that have... Their robes washed. Okay? Who else will be there? So let, let's, let's see who else will be there. Chapter 22, verse 7 and 14. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy or the prophecy of this book. And then in chapter 22, verse 14, it says, Blessed are those who what? Who do, who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gate into the city now i know some of you might say but pastor my bible doesn't say that my bible says blessed are those that wash their robes how many of you have a version like that the, the king james states it like this new international version and more modern versions say Blessed are those that wash their robes. Well, we already saw that. That was, that was the first thing that we mentioned to be in the city is having your robes washed. But why the discrepancy? Well, it's just that two little letters in the Greek word can change the whole thing. So some versions say those that keep the commandments. Some say those that wash their robes. But it's very clear from verse 7 that it's stating that we have to obey God. So either way you look at it, you know, it, 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 it says here, Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy. So we, we understand that by obedience. Obedience. And, and, and you know, we have, we have difficulties with that because today how many people really keep the Ten Commandments? We have, we have been blessed to know the precious truth of the Sabbath. But how many people know that truth? How many people should know that truth? So God wants us to be obedient because obedience is the way we show God how grateful we are for his great salvation. It says, don't, don't despise a great salvation. So really appreciate what God has done for us. We're going to obey him. It's like our kids. When they don't obey us, sometimes we feel they don't love us. 
And so we, we, we tell them, you know, we say, you know what? I, I told my son this morning because he's living in a, a new group home. So I said, son, obey your caregivers. Follow instructions because when you obey, everybody's happy. And he says, everybody's happy. <laughs> yes, everybody's happy. Yeah. So when you obey God, you're happy. It's part of God's plan for happiness. These laws were not created to be a, a, a stumbling block for us. They were created to help us reach God and to build our faith. So we have to obey. So those are the ones that are going to be in the city. But then there's another group. There's another group that are going to be in the city. So let, let, let's see who else is going to be in there. Chapter 21, verse 7 says, He who overcomes. Wow. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he will be my what? He will be my son. The overcomers. The overcomers. But who are the overcomers? So let, let's study this just a little bit. Because th this implies, the word overcomer implies perseverance. Okay, I think I have the verse here for you guys. So it's uh, Matthew 24, 13. It says, he who endures to the end will be saved. So in our struggles, do not get discouraged. How many folks that you've known in the past that were faithful followers of Jesus are no longer with us because when they went through a struggle, they gave up? So in your struggles, do not get discouraged. The righteous may fall seven times and they'll get up how many times? Eight times. No, seven, right? Get up. Move on. You know, Ellen White says something interesting that this, this Christian life that we live is not a parade. It's a battlefield. It's a battlefield. Jesus said, in this world you will have affliction, but do not fear. I have conquered the world. Do not fear. I have conquered the world. So he wants us to make a commitment to be victorious. Okay, you're following me? He wants us to make a commitment to not fail. To not step out of the ranks of the church. Satan will attack us. And you know, sometimes our worst enemies can be our own relatives. Our own family. Those that are closest to us. And, and, and sometimes even church members, if we're talking about the church family. So sometimes even church members can give us a really hard time. Yes, there's going to be obstacles if you're a Christian. <laughs> there's going to be criticism if you're a Christian. But please, don't get too sensitive or too delicate. You know, you know sometimes there's, there, there's all of a sudden, you know, there, there's this spontaneous meeting. Or, or maybe they're going to celebrate someone's birthday party that's someone that you really care about. And they didn't invite you. Maybe they overlooked you. Maybe it was a mistake. But you feel you're supposed to be at that birthday party and you're not there. And so now you're all upset. Now you ain't going to go to church no more because you didn't get invited to a birthday party. <laughs> or because you came to church and the pastor, because he's always busy, he didn't greet you. Oh, the pastor must be mad at me today. I try to say hi to everybody, but I might overlook you. But don't stop coming to church because of that. Pray for your pastor. <laughs> Pray for your pastor. So there's going to be obstacles. There's going to be criticism. Maybe the nominating committee that's going to start working in the next uh, week and a half or so 
They don't give you a position in church of leadership. There's so many ways to serve God. You don't have to have a responsibility directly in the church with the leadership. Oh, I've been a deacon so long, I think it's time they nominate me an elder. No. Just let God do his business. Okay? Yeah. Yeah, so, some people are delicate like, like these jars of clay. Have you seen those jars of clay that you buy? These, uh, you know, the, the, the people that do those, those arts and crafts and stuff, and they, they make these beautiful clay pots and they even paint them and everything. But they're so delicate. I mean, you barely hit them against something, and they all break apart. Well, some folks are delicate like those, those clay jars. I mean, you, you barely say anything to them, they're already all broken. And, and you know what, folks? If someone dare kick you out of this church through the back door, you come in a window. Find a window. I don't know what you're going to find, but get back inside. Get back inside because the ones that are going to be in the city are those that overcame. Between us, sometimes there, there, there are frictions in the church. Actually, there's a book called When the Saints Fight. <laughs> you know, the, the church is like a hospital. And we're all sick of something. So we come to church because we're all sick. No, just imagine that you're in the hospital. Let's, let's take this literally. So you're at the hospital, and you look at the guy that's next to you, and he's sick, and you say, and you're sick. That's why you're in the hospital. But you look at the other guy and says, I'm out of here. That guy's sick. Wait, but you're sick too. And, and sometimes we come to church and we see something, a bad testimony that a brother and sister gives. You know, maybe they, they, they made a wrong decision and they messed up. And we're like, I'm out of here. That guy is a, a bad testimony. I mean, if you leave the church because of someone else's bad testimony, you're in worse shape than they are. How are you going to allow a bad testimony of a brother and sister ruin your eternal life? So, just go. Keep moving. The church is a hospital. We're here for God to heal us. So once again, remember, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. Perseverance is key. Now, I told you at the beginning that I really had two titles for the sermon. One is the greatest love story, but then the last invitation. So let's go to the last invitation of the Bible. Revelation 22, verse 17. 22 verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts, Come. Whoever desires, let him take of the, of the what? Of the water of life at a thousand or two thousand or three thousand dollars. Maybe a million bucks. No, freely. 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 So, so I want you to take note of this. This is the last invitation. And who is commissioned to give this invitation? It said the spirit and the bride. And who is the bride? The church. The church. So we are the ones entrusted. We are the ones commissioned to give this message. And then if someone else hears it, well, they got to pass it on to others. You know, if you're in a desert and you're like three or four lost in the desert, you know what? The, the, the instructions are for you to try to find that oasis that you know is there somewhere. So what they do is they separate. One walks north, east, south, west. They walk for about 100 or 200 feet as long as they can still hear each other. 
And they're looking for the oasis, right? So they're walking. They get to the distance where they can barely hear each other say, It's not here. The oasis is not here. And the other guy says, It's not here either. It's not here either. It's not here either. And so they get back together. So they walk in the same direction. They get back together. They walk a few more miles or whatever. And then they do that again. And all of a sudden, one of those four yells, Oasis! The oasis is over here! And so the other guys, they're going to be hearing his, his sound of his, his, his words, and they're going to they're gonna find where he is, and then together they're going to go to the oasis. Well, how selfish we are sometimes. Because we have found the oasis. We have walked a distance. And those that still haven't found the oasis, they have walked in other directions. And we found the oasis and we're there drinking the water and having a good time. And those poor lost souls don't know where the oasis is. Let's not be selfish, guys. We got to share this message. And look what it says. And the spirit and the bride say, come. The oasis is over here. And let him who hears say, come. And him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. This is the last invitation. And you and I are in charge of giving this message to the world. The book of Revelation closes reminding us of the most amazing topic of the Bible, the second coming of Jesus. So let, let's go ahead and, and read that. So uh, Revelation twenty two twelve says, And behold, Jesus is talking. Jesus is talking. I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Wow. He who testifies to this thing says, Surely, this is Jesus talking again, Surely I come quickly. And then, John, I, I, I don't know. He's an old guy now. I don't know how, how, how high he leaps. But I'm pretty sure he jumps and says, Amen. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. And that's how the Bible ends. Because Revelation is a message of hope. Very soon, we will be with Jesus forever. There will be no cowards, no unbelievers, no worldly folks. Only those who wash their clothes. That became obedient to God and are victorious. Yes, the Bible states that we will be with Jesus forever. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell. Yeah, he'll pitch his tent among them. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I want to end this sermon with one of the most powerful quotes that I've ever read of Ellen White. It's how the book, The Great Controversy, ends. So let's read this together. The Great Controversy is ended. Sin and sinners are no more. The entire universe is clean. One pulse of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation. From him who created all flow life and light and gladness throughout the realms of illimitable space. From the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things animate and inanimate in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy 
declare that God is love. Let's pray. Dear God, we want to be there. We want to wash our clothes. We want to live a life of obedience. And God, through all the struggles of life, help us to be more than overcomers. Bless us, Lord. And help us to give this invitation out. Because time is drawing to an end. There's many thirsty souls out there. Let us not stay at the oasis. Let us go find those that are still lost in the desert. And dear God, thank you for once again revealing to us that the book of Revelation is a message of hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.